Hi everybody, my name's Sam. And my name's Ben. And we're the, the Book Fair Boys. Boys. <laughs> Great. Do you think we got it? It's it's wonderful, I'm sure. <laughs> Probably not. I really hope <laughs> yeah, I really hope that we find a way to use it. It's phenomenal. Hi everybody, uh, my name's Sam. And I'm Ben. And we're <laughs> Oh wait, no, we don't are we doing that? <laughs> Who are we, Ben? Uh, we're the Book Fair Boys. I'm joined today by a <laughs> LaCroix Pomplemousse water oh. because it's the morning, yes. Yeah, that that is the one to get, really, if you're going to do yeah. it. Nice. Pomplemousse. Yeah. Moose? Mouse? Pomplemousse? Uh, scholars have disputed it for centuries. <laughs> <laughs> I like moose because it sounds more festive, I think. It does, um, and it's got double S-E. I don't think, I think that implies that we're not going with an owl sound. We're going with something more Frenchy and less Germanic. Yeah, that, um, that double S changes everything. It's true. It, yeah. <laughs> I, I am joined today by uh, a nice Bones coffee. It makes this nice flavored coffee, and I just want to give them a nice plug. Today I'm drinking their maple bacon flavor, which is pretty good. S'mori time is definitely the mm. one to get. Like, are they just riddled with fake flavors? How do you, how do you make a coffee taste like s'mores? I don't know. Uh, I really don't. But I mean, I'm fine with fake flavors. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, it's it's like you you look at a box of nerds and it's like uh, no artificial flavors, and you're like, come on, these are nerds. Like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? It's just sugar coated in more sugar. Like, wh- who the <laughs> fuck are you kidding? So I don't really know, but it's it's really good coffee, so I just want to give them a shout-out. The art on all of their bags is really pretty. Uh, I have one of their stickers on my computer as we speak. And I can even do, like, a further plug. I got their sticker from Nightworms, which is a horror subscription service. They send you a box of, like, new horror releases by really cool authors, and they also throw some other like fun stuff in there. My first box is coming next month, and then I also got some stickers, and I was like, what's Bones Coffee? And so I found it through that. And the coffee is great. Our whole house smells like s'mores when we make the, uh, <laughs> the s'mores coffee. It's really nice. Um, That's good. <laughs> yeah. So I got, like for 30 bucks, a sample pack of five different flavors, and the last one that we have left is Highland Grog, which I'm a little nervous about. I don't know exactly what it's going to taste like. When I think of grog flavors, it seems like the sort of thing that would be in, like, Birdie's Mini Flavor Beans, but one of the ones you don't want to get, right? That's um, exactly right. Like, grog does not bring uh, a very pretty picture. The other flavors were, like, maple bacon, s'mores, Cinnabon, stuff like that. So I was like, those I can get on. Then Highland with. Grog. <laughs> then Highland Grog. I was like, let's open this one last. Uh, <laughs> so well, you have to let me know how the Highland Grog is. Um, I, I will. I'll, I'll check in. Their art on their bags is really pretty too. So, oh man, really a win-win. Um, I feel like we should probably do that again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <clears throat> from the beginning. Yeah, are we going to do where the book fair boys? No, I I think we nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. Hey everybody, my name's Sam. And my name's Ben. Who are we? And we are the book we're the book fair boys. <laughs> um, we're still working on our intro, obviously. We did a lot better this time. Good. This is great. <laughs> Sam, what are we talking about today? Ben, we're talking about Goosebumps. We skipped number six and went straight on to number seven, which is a classic. It's called Night of the Living Dummy. And enough, enough of these scrub pieces. Yeah, and I wanted to say real quick, the guy who does all of the artwork for all of the Goosebumps books is this guy, hold on, let me make sure that I'm saying the right name, Tim Jacobus, 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 Jacobus. Our apologies, Tim. (laughs) I'm so sorry. It's it's just Jacobus. It's probably Jacobus. Jacobus, right? Jacobus. And he's done... So he's done all of the art for all of the Goosebumps books, and now that I'm looking at his website, I'm realizing that he also did the art for a couple Stephen King books that I own, Ooh. and he did the art for the copy of House of the Seven Gables that I own, which is kind of cool. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. He's done a bunch of stuff. 
So check check That's... them out. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Help me. We're, we're gonna. <laughs> It's, we felt it was really important to uh, plug this um, poor up-and-coming artist who's just trying to make some ends meet on our very famous podcast. So, Tim, yeah. you're welcome. You're welcome for this free advertising. Yeah, um, he doesn't need it. He's done. <laughs> <laughs> he, no one needs it less than um, what I, made me think of it. The cover of Night of the Living Dummy is slappy. How would, how would you describe his look, Ben? Um, I would describe his look as aggressively haunting. It's ginger. It's a ginger look. Uh, we got a ginger dummy here. It's got some like little freckles. I'm assuming ginger. The actual hair is brown, but you got the freckles on the face, which implies a certain gingerness. Um, you got like a soullessness. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the green eyes, um, you yeah. know, the green eyes is like a classic ginger feature. So I'm thinking he went with with that look. Yeah, it's just like an aggressive terrifying smile there's nothing it's all very still like i could totally believe just seeing this dummy uh you just see it and it would be totally chill and it'd be a dummy in like a store and you'd be like whoa there's a dummy because they're all kind of creepy looking but their way that they do it with like a half in shadow half in light is definitely i don't know it's got like that you just woke up and turned over and saw this thing that's normally mundane in your house, yeah. but it's there and it's looking at you now. And it just that sort of like terrifying out of body experience of like turning, like I keep thinking of, there was this house that my wife and I house sit at a few years ago and they had a cardboard cutout of Barack Obama down in their like downstairs living room. Hard and there were any cardboard were... <laughs> of any, anybody like a life size thing. No. It was life-size. There were so many times I came downstairs, like, at four in the morning to just, like, let the dogs out because they needed to be let out super early and, like, just lost my mind because this cardboard cutout was staring at the staircase. Jesus. Um, so, yeah, it's just that, like, seeing a face where you don't expect a face terrifying. That's what it awakens in me. Yeah. Sam, you called it out, though. <laughs> you brought up Mr. Tim Jacobus. So um, yeah. what's, what's your well, take on this thing? Because I feel like I've heard of his name elsewhere where he's done other famous covers for older works like 70s, 80s paperbacks, and which was sort of the boom for like cool yeah. paperback art, you know? And I it's not on his website, so I could be wrong, but I just wanted to call him out for that. And I or shout him out. I call him out. Oh, you son of a bitch. Um, I wanted to <laughs> shout him out. But also the cover of slappy is at an angle like it's slightly tilted and in his original work slappy is just staring head on so i just thought yeah that's that's the one i'm looking at is the original is you did mark jacobus do both is the the staring the staring just looking right into your soul yeah well so is yours straight because mine mine's at an angle you see he's he's tilted oh mine is straight it's straight on okay I mean, it's it's a scan because I'm looking at a digital version of this, but it's uh, it's just looking right at me. Yeah, well, that's so that's what I mean is that they they threw it at an angle because they I guess thought it would be creepier. It is. Yeah. It, well, they're both creepy in unique ways. I don't know. Hard to hard to say. This doesn't matter anyway. Tim, <laughs> thank you. No, this is, this matters a lot. Every once in a while, I'll get a cover when I'm looking at some of these digital versions that are from, like, the new release version of it from 2010. Mm-hmm. And, like, the 2010 versus the 1990s covers, like, they definitely are both lush, but they have different aesthetics. That's something that I liked about Goosebumps, too, as, as a kid, because all the art yeah. was just so unique, you know? You really couldn't beat it. There was something adult yeah. about it. It, well, it's lush and it's big and it's scary, and most of what you see with books today is, like, very straightforward and minimalistic. I mean, the 90s was, like, and this is, you know, we're getting into Animorphs next, I think, after our seventh Goosebump book. But the 90s was, like, the heyday of, let's just do whatever. Let's just do whatever to grab the kids' attention. What are the kids like these days? The kids like, yeah. they like the computers. Let's let's just, let's, like, make a, a computer-looking <laughs> lizard turn into a computer boy. Like, you know... <laughs> It is, like, there, like there's, yeah. there's no rhyme or reason to the aesthetic behind some of these things. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It has that uh, sort of, like, Stephen King quality to it almost, where you can tell that, like, when Stephen King finishes a book, all he does is, like, sit back and have a cigarette, and he's like, what else is scary? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so it's like you know gak people that people love that gak stuff what if gak was scary or like dummies you know dummies yeah. mummies bummies flummies fuck <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, uh, what the fuck was I talking about? I don't know. I mean, we we were on covers, but... uh, Ben, (laughs) what happens in Night of the Living Dummy? Can you... Good. Good. uh, Because I'm really interested in this because, you know, so we were talking about our expectations and, and things that we maybe hoped from the book. And I have such a clear memory of being at some kind of convention with my parents when I was young. I was maybe nine and I don't know what the convention was, but I just hung out in this, like, corner, and I read Night of the Living Dummy, like, three or four, and I remember there being, like, Slappy was the main bad guy. So I I had clear expectations of Slappy, like, maybe commandeering an army of toys or some shit from this book. Yeah. Ben, what, what happens in this book? So, yeah, we got some twists, we got some turns. Essentially, this is a big, like, this is the giantest red herring book like this is like the classic red herring plot arc basically being laid out to give you the sense that slappy is coming alive i'm going to summarize this really broad strokes because i think that i really want to get into the meat of this thing but like you got some twists you got some turns spoilers for night of the living dummy all spoilers here on out yeah you've got slappy this dummy that just appears um these two competitive twin girls they are established early on as having like this competition vibe and one of them like slappy one of them doesn't they pull him out of a dumpster and slappy is creepy looking one of them super likes the dummy and the others don't like once the one girl chris starts seeing how slappy is like bringing attention to lindy her sister she wants to get a dummy and so they get this other dummy and then the next thing you know the dummies start appearing in weird positions where like Slappy is, you know, like getting choked by Mr. Wood, who is our other our other dummy here. Um, yeah, these are some really good names. So broad strokes, it turns out um, we're just going to cut right to the spoiler. Lindy has been like messing with Chris the whole time to an extreme degree. Cruelty after cruelty. Yeah. This is halfway through the book. Like you have this building tension of what is Mr. Wood doing? Is Mr. Wood alive? I mean, he certainly seems to be alive. And then you have the reveal that Lindy has just been messing with Chris the whole time. And then Chris finds in Mr. Wood's pocket a magic spell that she reads out loud. It's just written in gobbledygook language. And she just says it. And (laughs) next thing you know, Mr. Wood is in fact alive and running around. And now she's telling her sister this is happening. And her sister's like, hey, this is, that's ridiculous. You know, we already played this joke. Let's not copycat me again. Then the rest of the plot plays out with them trying to figure out Mr. Wood's shenanigans, how to stop him. When he's gone, flattened by a steamroller, which is the most kid-like death I can imagine. It's like the most 90s child book death because I don't know if you've seen steamrollers, but they move at like one inch per hour. And yeah, they're, that's they're like not the, flattening anything. <laughs> that's that's like the uh, Austin Powers bit, right? Where they're on the steamroller and they're like, "Get out of the way!" And then he's <laughs> <just> yelling. <laughs> it's so. It's like it was in enough cartoons, enough like Looney Tunes from the 1950s that things got flattened by steamrollers. That like it's just part of the cultural consciousness, and so we just accept that this dummy somehow just got run over by a steamroller. Yeah, but. It's, I, when they saw the steamrollers, I was like, just have him run into traffic. Why, why the hell are we getting him run over by a steamroller? I, I love that. I Spoilers <laughs> for a lot of movies coming at you quick here. But I love um, that that was such a thing for a while that villains had horrible deaths. Like, you would, in like the 90s through the early 2000s, if you were a bad guy, you were going to get eaten alive. Uh, you know, I remember that movie Agent Cody Banks with Frankie Muniz. Yes. They have those nanobots that would eat shit, and they make Ian McShane swallow a bunch of them, and he gets eaten from the inside out. Or, like, oh you gosh. were going to get, yeah, I know, uh, you were going to get eaten by dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, or, like, you know, torn apart by crocodiles in Indiana Jones. I guess that was earlier. But, like, and then I, I feel like Birds of Prey sort of brought that back a little bit, where they were like, throw them off the pier, and then also blow them up. <laughs> <laughs> just yes, raise the yes. water. That's so great. You know, there was a lot of that kind of stuff, I feel like. And Marvel movies don't really do that anymore. Like, 
it's a very quick and clean and then you have a like brief moment of maybe even redemption like ultron yeah. is like i just wanted to make better stuff uh or thanos is like and then boom yeah, yeah it's and the then, boom moments yeah and thanos is like i just wanted to make better stuff too and he disappears i, I guess that there's maybe a greater narrative shift in general there where it's like all villains all bad people are just people too so even though like you defeat they're they're wrong and you defeat them they still have this moment where they're like i really just wanted balance or i just wanted whatever dude not mr wood mr wood just (laughs) wants these girls to be his slaves as he said over and over and over again yeah and he repeatedly says don't mess with me i have powers i have powers (laughs) as they're throwing him into a suitcase (laughs) it's it's so great because like he's both like completely a joke in terms of his power set like he is just a dummy with a dummy's amount of strength and Mm -hmm. so like these two relatively small girls you know can take this dummy and you know, 12-year-old, I'm guessing, because all of his protagonists are 12-year-old Arl Stein. Like, they can just take this guy, and they can just throw him in a suitcase and lock it, and he's just trapped, right? Until, yeah. like, he's suddenly not anymore. I mean, he's kind of dangerous. Like, he'll do his little wooden mouth and bite people. Like, he'll, <laughs> you know, like, like it happens several times where his little wooden mouth bites Chris on the arm. Or he'll, like, slap with his, like, little, little wooden hands, and they'll be like, ow! <laughs> but, like... Yeah, or he but, like, he's... <laughs> Yes, like, yes. He's chomping. He's kicking. He's chomping but, and kicking. Yeah. But they're like they're like constantly manhandling this thing, and he's just shouting the whole time. You're gonna regret that. I got powers. I can like hear it in yeah. this this deep accent. It's a little ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's basically it, right? That's like they find um, the one dummy slappy in a dumpster. They're like this is fun, and then the other twin gets jealous, and she's like, I want a dummy too. So the dad buys her a dummy. And they both have dummies, and they think that the dummies are alive, and the one sister is like, it was me the whole time. But then the one dummy actually comes to life, and then... Super straightforward. Super straightforward. But I think what makes this one, because this is by far my favorite book so far. Me too. And I can see, I can see why people have latched onto this. There's, like, some Chucky stuff. It's funny, like, in the 90s, you know, Chucky was big. I'm guessing that, like... R.L. Stein saw Child's Play or some version of Child's Play and was like, took the parent vibe of that time, which is not like we're scared and creeped out by this thing because it's like, can kill people, but it's like a doll that uses foul language. That was kind of the thing everybody was really upset about is like, there's this doll that like runs around and it says fuck a lot and you can't have that. You can't have this like little doll like cursing. And so like, that's the like sort of modus operandi of like the actual conflict is like, these dummies when they come to life they say mean things and like there's literally a point where chris is like performing a show and this thing starts like spewing from its mouth a weird green goop and i kept expecting us to have like the fake out she woke up and it was a nightmare thing i know this thing is actually just spewing green gook out of its mouth after calling the teacher a fatso and it is one of like definitely top three if not top Goosebumps moments for me so far, where it's like she gets a chance to perform with this dummy in front of the whole school, right? The dummy starts saying mean things to the woman who's like running the performance, like calling her fat and all this stuff. Then she's like, Mr. Wood, you gotta cut it out. And he's like, well, if you like that, you're gonna like this. And the way he describes it, like his jaw just falls open. He's like, ah, and then all the (laughs) green, like, ectoplasm comes out you just imagine you can almost hear the the music that plays over that in the in the movie it's like oh, you know it's just like complete <laughs> awe and horror is yeah. like sublime and the whole time he's just going ah. <laughs> that's yeah. like this green goo is coming out what is the i feel like there's some specific movie i'm thinking of where he's like how about this and then it's like, but that's always sort of like the, there's some like contained thing. Like it makes me think of Men in Black where he's like, oh, put my hands on my head like this. And he like, <laughs> the evil, the emergence of just pure evil is yes. so awe-inspiring. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like, well, and this is like the major escalation spook. So like, let's think of this as spook beats. You've got your spook beat of there is a spooky doll. There's, you know, we got our creepy doll. We got our creepy dummy. 
and it's creepy. And so that's spook beat number one. And it even starts out with like Lindy doing some, my name's Slappy because I'll slap ya, you know? And so like we're establishing it as a threat at the very beginning. And we have the spooky doll that's just chilling. So now it's just being spooky in the home space. So I think that's beat two. Beat one is discovery. Beat two is it's sticking around. It's there. And then we got spook beat three, which is the Mr. Wood conflict, which continues to escalate through several beats up until you have, I think, like the major shift, which is Lindy is a cruel sociopath. And that reveal, because like you have Lindy building this thing with her sister the whole time, like as an ally, like we've got to watch out for Mr. Wood. Our parents will never believe us, you know, and like even doing things like the final big thing she does with Mr. Wood is she... Apparently, while Chris is sleeping, takes Mr. Wood down into the kitchen, pulls all of the food out of the refrigerator, and throws a bunch of Chris's jewelry into it. And this is, like, after Chris had, like, dropped Mr. Wood on the floor, or, like, thrown him on the floor and upset bit of fury. And so she thinks this is some sort of weird revenge. Lindy's, like, all upset about it, and Chris is all upset about it, and the parents are furious, and they're like, we're going to take away both the dolls. And Lindy's like, no, let's just, if we both clean it up and we pay for the food out of our allowance that we're earning with our dummies, yeah. then that's cool, right? And Mom's like, okay, that's fine. I don't ever want to see the dolls again. So like, and, Lindy's and clean up the kitchen, great... right? So clean up the yeah. kitchen right now, even though it's 1 a.m. And they go to bed at, like, after 3 a.m. So... So all of this is at great personal risk, right? Like, Lindy is all in on this sociopathic prank. And then she's just... Yeah, that was me. And I think it's silly and dumb that you wanted this. And Jesus, man. I mean... To what benefit? <laughs> like, you had to clean up the kitchen. You, you, that's going to come out of your allowance, too. Like, you have now established that you're in this together. So... But it's the cruelty, man. It's just... This is what I, I love about this one. Is It's like the... You start off and it's like this grounded competition spirit. And then you have like that plot line escalate to where it's the competition ends up becoming the horror object of the midpoint to where it's like truly like you get to see sort of the true cruelty siblings that can inflict on each other and like there's real betrayal there and like geez this girl's kind of sociopathic what's going to happen next and then you know you have this like outside evil force begin to reunite them but it reunites them in, in a way that like they have to overcome the obstacle of the previous like major beat because now we've established that Mr. Wood is coming alive, but also Chris, like, confiding that into Lindy is going to mess with, uh, it's going to, it's going to, like, play on what had been previously established as not possible, right. right? So you establish that it's not, I don't know, it's really interesting the way this one works. Um, yeah, but there's a lot of stuff there that still isn't dealt with, too. I mean, they, they do unite and come together to defeat Mr. Wood at the end. Uh, and you're right that there is like a like coming back together after this uh, sociopathic moment, but we still never really address that sociopathic moment. No, and it, and it never like it's it's like one book ends where um, there's this narrative of increasing tension and the you know all this shit happening that that Lindy's behind that she confesses and that story ends and then a separate story begins of. Chris reading the magic words from the note in Mr. Wood's pocket, and then he comes alive. This is like two different stories that sort of relate. Yeah, and that like are connected at the at the midpoint because again, like one feeds into the other in that if you just bring Chris just starts talking to Lindy about this stuff, then like maybe you're able to form an alliance early, but she has these major hurdles she needs to overcome about Mr. Wood coming alive because you know, the whole dynamic established between them is like Lindy does stuff and then Chris wants to do it because they're twins, but Lindy wants to be on her own. And so there's this copycat narrative. And so like then Chris has to like overcome the copycat narrative because the prank that you just did to me, Lindy, is actually true, is like what she's bringing her, you know? <laughs> Wouldn't it be more interesting if like she, Lindy makes this confession maybe like halfway through the book and then the... A second half is like the creepy dummy stuff starts happening and Lindy is like, I'm actually not doing this now. I don't know what's happening. Or Chris is like, I meant to do these pranks and now 
these pranks are just happening and Lindy's like why are you doing this and Chris is like I'm not there there's so, like some other like it's easy to weave that into a narrative the, the yeah. narrative that already exists in a way that I feel like Arl Stein didn't necessarily do yeah I mean and you know kind of coming back to so if we look at our like our so what makes this the best right what makes this the best goosebump so far uh, I kept asking myself this like when I was reading it and I'd actually be interested in your take, Sam, first, because I, I got, <laughs> I've so got my... I'm so interested to hear. <laughs> no, 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 no. I've got, like, my thoughts, but I, I don't want to seed the seed the conversation. So what... You said this is your favorite, too. What made this your favorite? There is such a complexity that goes into every aspect of this book that I feel like isn't necessarily present in any of the previous ones. Like, it, all the characters have dimensions, there's something yeah. really human, like you said, about the sibling rivalry that they have. That feels very real. And I was like, does Earl Stein have kids? Because I feel like he did this really well. And he had <laughs> one one son when he was writing this. So kind of, he kind of had kids. <laughs> like he, had a, he only had one son. But I mean, like, did he have, like, daughters, I guess? Because this, this feels like such a genuine girl-sibling thing uh, to, like, no, no, no. More than, like, like boys are much less devious than this. Like, a boy would never be like, I'm going to take you down psychologically by pretending <laughs> that. Boy would just be like, boom, elbow to the nuts, you're a dick. <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Like, we don't have the kind of intelligence to, to do that. <laughs> like, the wherewithal. So, so that felt very real to me. And that I love that the parents are such a presence as well. Like yeah. the last time that we had parents in a Goosebumps book that weren't like the central evil, like stay out of the basement. But then in uh, Say Cheese and Die, they were just like... Uh, yeah, they're just of, props. They, they're yeah. very proppy. So this, so this was interesting. And then the twist, the two points of no return where Lindy... I mean, that there's some sublime horror here where Lindy makes her confession and it's legitimate. I thought that she was going to be covering up for Slappy or something. Because uh, hmm. I... That's interesting. There was such a lack of interiority in those scenes where Slappy or Mr. Wood talk, where, like, Slappy will say something offensive and then Lindy or Chris will be like, I, I didn't do it. But there's a space in that scene where it is possible that they are having their own thoughts or something. You know what I mean? He doesn't necessarily... Like, when Slappy says something, you as a writer could immediately say, why is he moving on his own? Or, I didn't touch the strain and he moved. That's never a thing in any of the scenes where the dummies react. So there's always this element of, like, oh, is this actually a joke? Are they doing this? Because you can never quite tell. Uh, So I, I think he did that really well. There's a lot of tension there. And then... By the time you hit the end, it just was full Goosebumps shenanigans. <laughs> and I thought it was great that he could not be bothered to give any kind of shit about, like... You know, so we were talking about that sort of last time. The trend of explaining the, sort of the exposition dump at the end. Yes, yep. And he doesn't care about that. He just, nope. There's one line where the dummy's like, Haha, you read the words that the ancient sorcerer put in my pocket. What?! Yeah, well, <laughs> like, and, and also they try to read it again to like put him back to sleep, and he's like, "Those aren't the words that kill me; they're just the words that bring me alive." It establishes, like, it follows the kid logic train. It's all motivated, right? Like, yeah. he's not explaining himself; he's not explaining what happened. He's just, rah, rah, you know, I know that you would try that, but like, this is why it's not working because we have to understand why it's not working. Yeah, they, that's so. you know, now that I think about it, all these books rely on such a kid logic that either does not help or saves the day like in stay out of the basement there's a certain kid logic to being like your dad is a mad scientist and that's sort of what saves the day because he as an adult you're like well he'll give him the benefit of the you know he lost his job he said the plants were a side effect but as a kid you're like you're right you know what i mean it's it's simpler Uh, yeah i mean and in like welcome to dead house at the end they're like let's just push the tree over you know what i mean like there's that same adventure logic even with, like, the mummy's hand, like, sort of being an impulse in uh, whatever that mummy one was called. What was the mummy? The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. <laughs> mummies, mummies, mummies. Mummies, mummies, mummies. <laughs> yeah, it's just, like, he pulls it out, like, on impulse because it's, like, a totem. You know, it's got, like, its own yeah. sort of weird magic. But um, Or even in yeah. Monster Blood, he was like, oh, she looks like a witch, so she must be a witch. That's sort of like Monty <laughs> Python. <laughs> what does he say? Or he's like... What else floats, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But, I mean, in this one, they definitely, 
like you said, sort of nail it with the kid logic being not necessarily something that's going to work and that's problematic when they actually face the threat itself. Uh, this is, I think, what I'm, I'm sort of hearing and what I'm getting at is like, this is the most realistic, even though it still yeah. has like a dummy. The motivating and force behind the first half of it is like a terrifying sibling rivalry gone wrong. And then once the actual monster dummy is there and the magic is in the room, it is sort of escalated to the point where like the evil totem is both like sort of evil because it's like inserted this conflict into their lives and now because it's actually magic it's like evil in different ways that's really interesting um yeah there's a great moment where they throw the uh dummy under the steamroller and he explodes and the steamroller stops and and there's some like an error like as a kid construction machines are monsters right yeah they're I, i never really had a sense that people were operating them or they were like part of the machine so the guy hops out of the steamroller and he's like oh my god did i run over a kid and they're like no no it's good that was just our toy and he was like oh whew, well stay in school uh and then like, <laughs> yes yeah. you know um, this guy <laughs> don't let me catch you near my construction site again kids yeah he's <laughs> like uh don't do drugs <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of the world is very rich here. Uh, yeah. And all the kids have specific personalities. Like, they have multiple friends who have unique personalities. Like, there's Cody, yes. who doesn't Cody, have a sense of humor. Um, but he but he is, a, like, a strong ally. Like, after Chris is like, I'm never talking to Lindy again. They're having that little walk home. And he's like, so are you talking to her again? And he's like, ah, a little bit, you know, because we're sisters or whatever. <laughs> but it's still, like... It still, like, answers that question because you leave it at such a, like, a, oh, my God, this tension is high and this unforgivable point of no return has been crossed. But, like, you have these friends that are very simple and they're able to lead things in. The mom, the mom is, like, a fully rounded character in that she just wants none of these shenanigans. I, I groaned, like, three or four times last night because I was, like, oh, like, parents are the worst. Like, and that's, but also you feel for the parents because these two kids are, like, harping at each other and Lindy's like why can't I have anything of my own I just want to have something of my own and they're like well maybe you can share the dummy and I'm like oh fuck these parents are the worst (laughs) but also you understand because they've got these like little kids just harping at each other like yeah there is a feeling of like dad's just having a drink too it's like uh, I think it's the mom who's like why don't you share it and the dad's like say that's a great idea you know like (laughs) To get out of my hair, you know? And there's a lot of specifics in this book, too, that make it a a richer world. Like, the mom is reading a Stephen King book. Yeah. And so when they go to tell her, she's like, oh, you scared me. Yeah. She very consistently has, like, if you think about returning to a primary motivation, like, her thing is she cannot deal with how competitive they are. Like, they never say we are competitive, you know? And they never use that word to, like even clarify the nature of like how they have conflict but she keeps saying the word competitive over and over and over again whereas i think if like you're chris you're thinking of this as you know i'm being shut out of opportunities that lindy has and if you're lindy you're thinking i want something of my own so they like have their own ways of viewing the conflicts that are happening between these kids which is again really interesting and different and like much more deep than a lot of the way that rl steins built his novels previously which is just there's a mummy and it's bad right or i'm a scaredy cat and this kid likes to scare people like and those are the conflicts you know what i mean yeah it's something very simple about just like dead house i am the older sister i have a younger brother who's annoying and that's the same sort of <laughs> dynamic <laughs> that's the yeah. same sort of dynamic that they have in stay out of the basement and then monster blood yeah there's a lot of simple dynamics that he tinkers with in the first couple books and then this one feels very dynamic, dynamic yeah dynamics. I had done this whole thing. I'm definitely not going to. So I'm definitely not going to be able to reproduce this on the air, since we're live, guys. We are we are audio live. Live. Um, tell me. <laughs> but tell me about. I it. I had like looked at the first two pages of this, and even like before I finished the book, I was just astonished at like how clearly the conflict is established early on. You start off most of these others with like very. I've noticed he likes to start his books. R.L. Stein with like kids shouting things, 
right? Or adults shouting things. It's just like a line that gets contextualized. In this one, it starts off with this really vague, mm, mm, mm. Like, <laughs> as, Chris, as Chris struggled to get her twin sister's attention, Lindy glanced up from the book which she was reading to see what the problem was. Instead of her sister's pretty face, Lindy saw a round pink bubble nearly the size of Chris's head. Nice one, Lindy said without much enthusiasm. Then she popped the bubble. Hey, Chris said, cried. Pink bubblegum exploded onto her cheeks and chin. Gotcha, said Lindsay. Lindy. Um, I can't read very well, guys. Um, but the reason that we're doing this is so we very clearly in these two in these two paragraphs like established, you know, Chris really wants to get her sister's attention. She's like, you know, she's somebody who's seeking affirmation. She's very affirmation-seeking in her character, and she's going to be the whole time. Lindy is just completely over it. And then when Lindy does something, Chris does something back because what Chris does next is she grabs Lindy's book and she closes it so she loses her place. And then we have the mom come in and... We have this, like, superior sneer that Lindy gives because she's like, I've blown bubbles much bigger than that. And the mom's like, why are you so so competitive? So, like, within the context of, like, 200 words, we've basically established everything that this whole book's going to be about. Which I just thought was, like, I don't know. I mean, it's very simple. It's very direct storytelling. And it does it in a way that I found just, like, really efficient, which you don't get in a whole lot of these books because there's a lot of, like world building and mystery especially with like the like crazy needless chapters that we have in things like monster blood but i mean here it's just you know your conflict and you understand from the beginning like if he plays this story out right it's going to end up being about these two girls their competition and then their the parents inability to insert themselves in ways that are helpful um i want to talk about the dog getting strangled because as we oh were my talking God, yeah. about this so We've done this really out of order. This book is really phenomenal. It's it's two books in one. It's very grounded for a Goosebumps book. It's got really magical, terrifying horror moments. It's got it's got a dog, like almost all these books have had so far, except for Night of the Living Mummy or whatever it's called. Oh God, what is it called? Curse of the Mummies Two. <laughs> Curse of the Mummies Two. Mummies, yeah. mummies, mummies. This um, this book is also genuinely funny. Like um, yes. The dad is cutting onions, and then he just throws the onions, and he's like, "I hate onions." Um, <laughs> <laughs> great bit. Um, it's good. And then the the the, the fucking Mister Wood like strangles the dog. Yeah, and, and like for a, a while, for a long time. Yeah, it. So he comes back. They they bury him, and they're like, "Whew, we did that," which they didn't. The dummy comes back. And starts strangling the dog. Yeah. And they have to he, pull him off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so he's, so I, I don't know if we've spent enough on how terrifying this thing is. Like, it's kind of funny because it's like, I've got powers. And it's like, it's like, hey, slaves, you're going to be my slaves now. And it's like, it's this like gruff dummy and he, he's being mean and he's just standing there and he's terrifying. But then he keeps saying, if you aren't my slaves and you aren't good, I'm going to start killing people that you care about. And you're like, oh, that's that's kind of creepy, but he's yeah. a dumb dummy and we can manhandle him. So what does that mean? And then he starts strangling the dog. He's like, since you were bad slaves, you need punishment. And he starts grabbing this thing. You hear the dog like whimpering and the girls are trying to grab his hands, but he's still just strangling the dog. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, my God. I thought we were going to have another dead dog. I know. In the R.L. Stein book. Yeah, it, it was really um, close. And there's there's something terrifying, too. I mean, as a, as a kid, you, well, I, I guess I don't know. I, having never been a young female-identifying person, there, there was something to me about, like, what I imagine an older man this dummy has been around for a while. He's clearly aware that yeah. there's like an ancient sorcerer who's cursed him, you know? So he's <laughs> yeah. older than them. And he's telling a, a pair of like 12 year old girl twins, you're my slaves. I was like, fuck. Yeah. And he's named Mr. Wood. That's so dark. That's like, yeah, there's, there's like dark, there's definitely dark layers here. And, and that's gotta and... activate. I mean, as a 12 year old girl reading that, I, they're, Dollars to Donuts, you've had experiences being sexualized at some point already, right? So reading this... this... Or you're in the very beginning parts of that, you know. Yeah, and so you're already reading this and you're like, oh no, I don't don't like that. Um, Well, and I mean, and the threat of the dog, like, so here's... The other thing that's really interesting is, like, 
the the whole thing centers in some ways around a around a gaslighting plot you have like lindy gaslights chris in the beginning and then you have this dummy and so that's hanging even though he never really thoroughly gaslights them he does like he's alive to the girls but then when the parents come out he's he's a dummy Mm -hmm. and and they're like stop it stop saying that the dummy is alive basically you know just stop fighting stop being so competitive like that's what they keep saying but like he's sort in some ways like in a prime position to gaslight them so even though there's no, or like put them in a position of seeming crazy to other mm. people, right? Like that's it's sort of like Invisible Man-ish, like that movie that just came out. Because Did you like, see it? There's a lot of like I haven't seen oh. it, <laughs> but I've had it. I've had the plot described to me so many times at this point. Um, I'm going to see it okay. this weekend. I watched uh, uh, yeah, Train to Busan. Really by the way, I know, I know you did, and I have not watched Invisible Man wow. yet. I haven't held up my end of the bargain. Did you watch uh, Cabin um, in the Woods? No. Wow. I haven't held up my end of the bargain at all. I I rewatched Cabin and I almost cried a couple times because I was just so happy to be rewatching this movie that <laughs> has meant so much to me. Oh my God. Is that sad? But, <laughs> no, no, I mean it's funny. It's no, funny. I mean I was I was having a great time. I was just like, should I be crying right now? <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever cried at the joy of you, Sam. You're such a generous person. I don't think I've ever cried at the joy of having been given the opportunity to rewatch it. <laughs> I so the only other time I've felt that kind of joy in a movie is when Jurassic World came out because I was such a big Jurassic Park, like a huge Jurassic Park okay. kid. And so okay. when the music store started up for Jurassic World, I was like, oh my god, I'm in it. And then it, the <laughs> rest of the movie was just a Chris Pratt commercial, and I was like, this is not fun. But you got that opening music, man. It's like oh. why everybody screamed about the Millennium Falcon appearing in the trailer of the first, whatever it was called, Star Wars movies. Yeah. Um, there's an awesome bit that Red Letter Media does where in their review of that, they're talking about why do we need all the old stuff? Like you don't need old stuff. Let's create new stuff. And then they just have over the background as like the Mister Plinkett characters talking, <laughs> all of these like reaction videos to seeing the Millennium Falcon for the first time in the trailer. All these people screaming, "It's the Millennium Falcon!" <laughs> they're like, "But why are you just getting?" It? And they're like, "Okay, I see why they included the Millennium Falcon." <laughs> like, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. That, yeah. And I saw um, the first episode of the Watchmen show at Comic Con. Oh, was it good? Yeah. Do, oh, you, sorry. Have you seen it? I get Comic Con. No, I want to watch it. I don't have HBO Go or HBO subscription, so. So yeah, they, in the first episode, the Night Owl ship okay comes yeah. on, and everyone cheered, and I was like, yeah, all right, I like the ship, uh, and sort of clapped, but I was like, <laughs> yeah, what? I, I don't know. I want to know who the hardcore Watchmen fans are that are out there waiting for the Night Owl ship to come on. Like, that's that's really probably a very specific and small subculture of comic fandom. Because that's like a non... I don't know. The irony is palpable for it being like a deconstructionist text about, in particular, the new one kind of being like a quasi-deconstructionist reading of the way people establish fandoms around Watchmen characters, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like... The way that the new show is operating. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's true. Um, wh- where did we leave off? <laughs> um, <laughs> what we I don't know. I'm so. Oh, the, the restri- <laughs> oh, so okay. We were talking about the the weird, terrifying subtext of Mister Wood and wanting twelve year old girls to be slaves, yeah. and all of the uncomfortableness about that, and then also the implicit. Um, this is why, because I'd mentioned an Invisible Man, the sort of implicit ability to like make them seem crazy, right. and that as a threat in the back of the mind. Like, there's the immediate threat of like the dog being strangled, and then there's also the terrifying reality of like. Because I thought for a moment this dog was going to be dead and that the girls were going to have to deal with the parents coming down and them saying, Mr. Wood strangled the dog. Oh, God. You know what I mean? Like, this is like, there's just a half, like, second that, you know, he seeds that in the narrative really well, where it's like the potential horror, he also gets away from it really well. I think, you know, he seeds the potential horror of, like, and the power of what Mr. Wood could do. And then, you know, Mr. Wood ends up, like, running away and getting flattened by a steamroller. And then we have our major hook at the end, which is they come home. They're like, oh, thank God, Mr. Wood's dead. And they sit down and then Slappy 
puts his arms basically around them and is like, now that the other guy's gone, what do you guys want to do, slaves? Yeah. Or something like that. And it's like, it's like really terrifying and creepy, like, hook to end on. And I'll tell you, I've never been more excited to get a Goosebumps 2. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Except maybe, like, stay out of the basement. I want to know where that flower dad is coming from. My but, gosh. like, this is definitely the strongest hook. I don't know. What did that leave you with? No, I totally agree. I hear it in that Mark Hamill Joker voice for sure, because um, <laughs> they they he sort of describes it as a raspy, higher pitched thing. I think yes. So that was just what came to mind. Yeah, it's hey slave, is that other guy gone? The dummy asked in a throaty growl. I thought he'd never leave. Yes. Yeah, so it does have that sort of Mark Hamill sound. I kept picturing, you know, I couldn't help it. In my brain, I was picturing, like, you know, I keep doing this, this slappy voice, right? Like, I keep picturing that in my brain. But then I kept remembering that for the TV show, the girl who played the annoying cousin in The Mummy, whatever, like, last oh. one, she she's the voice of Slappy, and she has a very high-pitched sort of voice. And so, wow. like, I do want to watch the TV show at some point and see is this thing just a joke? Because I have a hard time imagining how that plays as horror, but it could be really... A sort of chipmunky, um, like... Yeah, a very chipmunky, mm-hmm. like... Those are her two parts. Is she was the annoying cousin, and now she's, like, slapping. The voice of slapping. That's so strange. I mean, that's, that's interesting. Good for her for having a, a dual role. Dude, she yeah. made it. She made it on Goosebumps. They, uh, you know, uh, I was listening to How Did This Get Made, and they were talking about that Vin Diesel movie, Bloodshot. And how he's oh, yes. how he's really so it's a I think it's a Valiant Comics uh, and Vin Diesel is now really pushing for a Valiant Comics cinematic universe the VCU <laughs> and I they were like I think he's mad because they wouldn't let him play more than one character in the MCU and he's just stuck saying I am Groot for the rest of his career um, <laughs> and doesn't actually get to like play you know so he wants to play yeah. So good for her that she got to have more than one role in the Goosebumps. <laughs> it's it came together. You did, you did it. Did. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I I mean, there was such a tension reading this book for me because, and probably you as well, where I was just like, when is Slappy gonna come in? I was just yeah, so tense. And, well, and there's all of this. So at the beginning of this, I had predicted as soon as Mister Wood showed up, I was like. Uh oh, the next big thing that's going to happen is like Mr. Wood's going to be damaged and Slappy's going to have done it and Chris is going to blame Lindy. But like, we went hard in the other direction where Mr. Wood is the aggressor, but Lindy's behind it. And then you're thinking, all right, well, we know Slappy. I know, even though I don't know anything about this universe, I know Slappy's the major antagonist. So, like, is Slappy influencing? Is Slappy actually, like, setting himself up to look like the victim? Or is he, like, influencing Lindy in some way? No, she's just a sociopath. Yeah. But, and so then that question's answered, but you're like, we know this guy's coming around. And the one thing that it's kind of hinted at, and this is why I think this is a multi-draft one, I think he knew he was onto something and that he knew he was going to have a sequel because when the girls go to bury Mr. Wood, they've got him in a suitcase and they're going to bury him next door. They hear something scampering in the bushes and they look over and one of them's like, it was probably a raccoon, but it was a really big raccoon. And that's it. That's all you get. And then they bury it and then they go back home and then like somehow Mr. Wood is out. I'm convinced that that was Slappy somehow going to like dig Mr. Wood up so that like shenanigans could keep happening i mean there's no reason for them to have that information in there except that that's slappy yeah Um, and and i i thought that the whole thing was going to be slappy but slappy was framing mr wood yes so like when mr wood is strangling slappy they're like we got to get rid of mr wood but then slappy takes control of the house and nope nope um I also thought it was interesting. Did you ever see that movie with Anthony Hopkins called Magic, where he's a ventriloquist and he gets his dummy? No. Um, it's it's really great. Anthony Hopkins is super creepy. It came out in like 74 or something. It's for him, it's almost like this impulse, like he can't put the dummy down. And for a bit, I kind of forget how it goes. Actually, it's been a bit since I've seen it. But I remember that for a bit, it's like, oh, is the dummy alive? And then it is just like, well, he's either controlling it or is possessed by something that's making him control it. There's a direct link between them. 
it like the dummy isn't a separate entity really i did go a little bit down the rabbit hole with like the whole ventriloquist as a terrifying thing sub-narrative which just goes to show like how effective this is i mean you remember uh scarface like the batman villain that's got god from like batman the animated series yeah like and it's it's also similar where it's like this guy that was traumatized as a child and he like because he was part of a mob family and his parents were like killed or his mom was killed or something like that and so he's like taken all of his aggressive emotions and put them into this mob boss like puppet you know called scarface and he's like totally terrified of like violence and bloodshed and always trying to stop scarface from doing bad things but like he ends up a legit a legit mob boss batman has to stop and this guy is scary yeah i remember him you could you never know it's like as a kid especially you never know like is the puppet alive or is it this guy and what's going on i mean it's it's a very interesting and terrifying like character type that I we don't really I don't think we see a lot of anymore I mean like creepy dolls are one thing but like the way that a, a, a dummy is tied at the hip to a person that might or might not be influenced or influenced by and like the where the power like influence train starts and goes is kind of an interesting dynamic that you don't really see a lot in horror today so maybe it's time to bring dummies back yeah I, I think don't know. Like, creepy dolls and dummies get lumped together but I think they're um, separate because like the doll is the homunculus, right? This is like a uh, simulacrum of what a human looks like, but it's not actually alive. And then once it becomes alive, that's like the golem, right? You This this human-like yeah. creature now has a life of its own and can't be stopped because its rules of living are different from yours uh, or are unknown. But with a dummy, there's something about the impulse or the other voice or the other self in that that feels like equally terrifying but in a different way like there's a scene in magic where he's i think he's like talking to a therapist or like his agent or something and he's like just put the dummy down and anthony's like sweating and then he finally like picks up the dummy and the dummy just starts talking rapidly he's like gah, 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 my dummy. and there's a <laughs> feeling of catharsis there like i just need that fix and then i like you know it could be the same thing as like don't have a drink anthony hopkins and he's sweating and then finally it's just like fuck it gets the rum bottle you know and yeah. it's the same sort of thing and there's something about calling them dummies too like are you dumb when you have a dummy because the dummy speaks for your other self that are the impulses or the insults or the things that your actual self would never say you know what i mean like yeah the conflict between the ventriloquist and the dummy is an interesting line to walk and that's you know what's interesting about the character in batman is that you've got the guy who's like disassociated himself from his violent impulses and really wants everything to be okay and he genuinely wants that and you've got scarface who's like the embodiment of all those things it's like an actual crime boss running a crime family and has a tommy gun and is like a, a really characterized version of like your violent masculine stereotype and then, you know, you have this where you've got like moments of you're not sure if the dummy is just like enacting the kid's impulses or if it is in fact like a personality of its own or where you have confirmed that it is a personality of its own and it can't be controlled by the kids who are perceived as having shown their impulses to other people. Right. And so there's like lots of like interesting layers of horror that Again, I'm, I'm, I'm hashtag bring dummies back. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're not in vogue. I don't know what the excuse is, but I mean, I don't know. Carnival fiction is kind of coming back. Like maybe it can be a part of a carnival fiction piece. Or I, I just want to say that I am also trying hard to bring it back. It's like, <laughs> I love that shit. And I, and I think like people are remembering that they love that shit. Because when you think of Bradbury, yeah. like carnival is one of the first things you think of, right? And I, yep. people still talk about that kind of thing, or maybe are talking about it again. I don't know. I've always loved the carnival. I love the idea of having multiple different people and voices come from all over. And there's a, an eroticism and a violence that gets wrapped up in that because everyone's a stranger, but then everyone's a stranger, Ugh, you know, like, and I love that. Uh, but so, you know, too, like, if you're talking about the ventriloquist and the dummy, I think there's also something there, like, talking to the addict versus talking to the addiction. Like, there's this wall yeah, yeah, of, yeah. like, I can only speak to your alcoholism, but I can't necessarily get to you, this person that I like. And it makes me think, too, that, like, both with the Batman Scarface and with these kids, there's, like, 
this addiction to cruelty or violence. Like, the book starts with a relatively, like, violent act for kids. Like, you got, she pops the gum bubble and then she gets gum in her hair and spends a couple pages trying to clean the gum off, right? So if you can express that cruelty through a dummy or an alternate self without really getting in trouble yourself, because you can be like, oh, Slappy said it, I didn't say anything. Well, and, and that's the first act that Slappy does. I mean, he's called Slappy because Lindy gets him and she, like, smacks Chris with it. And she goes, my name's Slappy. I'll slap him. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? It, it, it's, like, it's very clear that, like, that's the sort of conflict in place. Is like, I'm going, to, I'm going to do mean things, but I'm going to displace the, you know, consequences of my actions onto this other mean personality yeah. that I'm going to let be involved And when here. she confesses, uh, Arl Stein describes it like her face is sort of becoming Slappy. It's like she grins like Slappy and her eyes are evil and she says it was me the whole time. And you're just like, what the fuck? It was, it was you. <laughs> there was no wall. We were talking to you. Yeah. That's, that's nutty. That's, that's scary. Yeah. It's interesting when people are given the invitation, like, so again, in, in literature, whether that's through a totem or whether it's the circumstance, they're given the invitation to like be worse versions or better versions of themselves and how they embody that, I think really shows like what the nature of like how you do a proper character study. And like, this is in a lot of ways, a character study on like Lindy and Chris, you know, you have like all your magic shenanigans at the end, but this ends up being sort of a like, let's look at the let's look at the evolution of a sociopathic tendency in somebody <laughs> and how that ends up being because like you also get the sense like lindy feels zero remorse like this is, there's this like chris is like weeping and terrified and like she's so upset about like what to do about this and like lindy is just sitting there at the edge of the bed with this slappy smile when Chris is like, I'm never going to talk to you again. She's like, why? Because of a stupid prank? Like, she's been psychologically torturing her sister for days. Yeah. For days. For, like, over a week. And she's, like, bringing it to culmination just the day before her sister's going to go on and perform with this thing in a big show. And Or, like, I guess, I don't know, not the day before, but, like, there's there's a sort of culminating factor there. Yeah, it's pure sociopathy. It's, like, terrifying. Terrifying. And again, like, you had to clean up the kitchen, too. You also had to, like, stay up until 3 a.m. I don't know. But I'm I'm also an only child, so I, like, I don't know if you ever felt that, like, it's worth this level of pain (laughs) or anything to, like, do the gotcha. I don't know. It's not in me, man. All right. The competitiveness I had with my little brother was always... I'm going to be a dick because he beat me in video games, you know. I'm, I'm going to be a dick by being like, that doesn't matter. It's not important you beat me in video games because I'm better, you know. It was like that sort of weird, like, competitiveness. It wasn't, yeah, this kind of level of terrifying. That's what I, uh, yeah, you know. Mental torture. Yeah, that's, so, that's what I was saying earlier, too. Like, um, girls were so much more prone to psychologically terrorize somebody. I would much rather be in a fight with a man than a woman. Because I would lose a fight with a woman. I, I'm not smart enough. Well, you think about, like, how kids get power and boys are, I mean, like, you know, whether it's through social, I mean, it's definitely social conditioning as well. But, like, there's the social conditioning around, like, muscle power. And, you know, that's all of the stock archetypes you're given, you know, is, is the fighting archetypes. And kids who are assertive are going to find their power somewhere else. And, you know, in this case, Lindy is finding her power through her ability to manipulate for sure. <laughs> Even if it's like a stock ar- archetype that, you know, it's it's definitely like the way that this is manifested is like she's getting her power through through being manipulative and in a real weird way like gaslighting, doing that sort of masculine gaslighting thing. Yeah. So I don't know how we put a period on this one. I guess we have to do our spooks, right? I'm giving this like multiple spooks up. This is more than two spooks. Wow. This is given for me. Like we got some twists and some turns. I'm giving this one like... I don't know. Did I give three spooks up already to something? I don't know. Uh, I'm going to go ten spooks up. Wow. All right. Uh, yeah. I, I think... I, I really think this was like the, the to be beaten <laughs> at this point. Yeah. So I, I, I'll i give this ten spooks too. What the hell? Oh, um, my God. We're going to give... The, our rating system is going to be all over the place. I think we gave um, Stay Out of the Basement one and a half spooks. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, but, yeah. I, I guess, like... Here's a good period. I this is a classic monster movie moment from when Mr. Wood starts coming alive. Chris is like holding him down and she's trying to convince Lindy that he's alive and she says, "He moves, he runs, he talks. 
he's alive. And I was like, great, that's the poster. Uh, so I just wanted to share it that. Is- he, he, I love, oh, we haven't talked about the uh, cover taglines either. This one brings back, I, I had a modern cover on the last one, the early 2000s, that didn't have a cover tagline. This one, we get the, he walks, he stalks, dot, 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 which I think is the best cover tagline we got so far, too. Yeah. Um, on the back, there's also another one. It says, he's no dummy. Oh, yes. Great. Yes. <laughs> He's, he's got powers. He's got powers. Yeah, I was like ballsy of him to say, uh, I've got powers, you'll be sorry, as they're like locking him in a suitcase. <laughs> so this is what I'm saying. I re- okay, we gotta stop. We gotta stop. But like, but like, it's just so funny because it's so scary, but it's such a, a like limp and flaccid danger object. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's just a dumb dummy that's like flopping around on the ground. Ben froze. Um, oh, friends and neighbors. And Sam froze. I don't know. I don't know what's what we're he's waiting. talking about. He could be talking about anything. We're waiting. Uh oh. Oh, there, there we are. There we are. <laughs> hey. Uh, um. <laughs> it's a, you were saying Anyways. it's a limp and flaccid danger object. <laughs> danger object. Yes. Yes. Uh, put that on my gravestone. Um. <laughs> Call me Mister Wood. <laughs> <laughs> but but the point being like. Again, it's just so funny, like, and it's even asserting itself that way with the I've got powers. I just, I can't say enough about, like, I don't know if he knew what he was, artists rarely know what they're doing, and I don't think he knew what he was doing when he played with this, but, like, there's just something that's, like, both scary and terrifying and seems like that perfect Goosebumps mix of, like, horror comedy in this thing, because you are laughing. It's, It's really funny. And it's really scary as an adult. And I imagine as a kid, you're kind of getting that weird pull back and forth between humor and horror as well, because this thing is genuinely scary, but it also is very powerless. Yeah. And even when it asserts power on the dog, like they're able to rescue that thing. If it had killed the dog, maybe you would have a different feeling about it at the end of the book, but it doesn't. But it's like, it's weird, brute force, slaves, like <laughs> language, like as like uncomfortable as that is, it's also absurd and funny kind of like that he's just like now you're my slaves like it's the sort of thing that a three-year-old little kid that has two older kids you know just learned to start talking it's going to assert power and authority in like the most brute force way possible that like youngest child yeah thing. i gotta i want to see it's interesting the new child's play because i heard that the bit is not that he's just a toy that comes to life but it, he's like connected to devices in the house so you can control him just like you could control your echo and the idea of powerlessness makes me think of that that's such an interesting evolution from like there's an item in your house that is inanimate and you have just control over it and then all of a sudden you don't and the tables turn versus like you don't have power in your house to begin with really because it's all yeah uh, connected it's now one giant robot that can kill you. Yeah, and then you add a toy to it. It's like if you gave your Alexa hands, right? Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, so Ben, what are we reading uh, next week? We said we would do... We're reading the one that Sam recommended. So like all of these so far, Sam and I... Like Sam comes to me and he's like oh, I love Goosebumps. I'm a Goosebumps fanatic. He's like, you know, and we'll do this fun thing where I know everything about Goosebumps and you don't know everything about Goosebumps and you'll read it and I'll read it. And then he's like, I haven't read any of these books. <laughs> I don't remember any of these. He's like, I don't remember any of these. <laughs> and so now we're doing the one that Sam remembers, which is called Terror Tower? Yeah, Tower it's, a, Terror. it's a Night in Terror Tower. So I said this... A Night in Terror Yeah, Tower. I said this before. Yeah. What I remember about Goosebumps is there were other dimensions, other, other places. Like, they were always going back in time. You got zapped through the clock into uh, another place. Or there was even, like, a house that was bigger on the inside than it should have been. You know, um, either that or just straight-up monsters. So these first couple books aren't really what I think of when I think of Goosebumps, which has been interesting. Yeah, it has been interesting. I just wanted to give you... No, you should. I I deserve it. Um, (laughs) So, Night and Terror Tower falls more into the territory that I am familiar with, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, so we're going to read A Night and Terror Tower. There are some adaptations, so we're going to have to watch them. And then that's it, right? Yeah, then I think we're going to take a little hiatus to catch up on some editing and think Ben and I also have multiple other projects going on. So pay attention to some of those and then we'll come back with some Animorphs, I think is the plan. 
Season two. Season two of the of the what are we called? The book the book fair boys. <laughs> the book fair boys, yeah. 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 Season yeah, three seasons in a movie. Wait, six, six seasons, seasons in a movie. movie. Yeah. Hashtag hashtag six I think it'll make us feel more legit if we have like seasons. Does that seem <laughs> <Good>. true? <laughs> I don't know. Sure. Um, I don't know. Ben do well, you have anything exciting going on this week or anything you want to plug before we sign off? No, I'm going to go see the Marfa Lights. So I'll tell you if I see Marfa oh Lights. Yeah. I'll call you if I see Marfa Lights, Sam, and I'll show Please them to do. you through grainy video footage that will definitely be proof. Yeah, I'll be like, wow, there they are. Yeah, it'll be it'll be great. So that's all I'm doing. I'm going down to Marfa, Texas. What are so you doing, fun. Sam? I'm excited to hear about it. What am I doing this weekend? I don't know. I think... Um, yeah. I... This is really important for everybody to know. By the way. <laughs> I I'm gonna I'm starting my blog today, my horror blog. Oh, um, my, my first post that I'm gonna post today. So, to all of our ravenous fans out there, you can probably, if you reverse engineer, assuming that this makes it the cut and actually gets put you from a reverse engineering the time where Sam's blog went up to the time that you listen to this, you can get approximately how long away we record these episodes, <laughs> which will be very interesting yeah. for you. Five years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh God, please no. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. Um, all right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, yeah, that's, that's it. Get out. We don't have an ending bit. That was our ending bit. Uh, uh, is that what do we? What's our bit? What's how do well? We I was it? saying um, he's got a gun. What? Wait, what did I? Do? He's oh, got. A, what was I saying? I was said something. Uh, the first get one. that. What was it? Get that jam. Get that. Take that no. jam. Was it really take that jam? Well, you were doing the one uh, podcast that you were listening, so it was like get that jam. That, he grabbed those gems. <laughs> no, I'm not going to steal their stuff. Um, <laughs> okay, so here's my official okay. ending bit. I'm going to say, it's spookerific. Bye. <laughs> Adios. All right, that's it. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> oh.